Well, good morning, everyone. A couple of you are awake. That's great. Glad to know that uh, I'm not going to speak to everyone asleep. Hopefully this will wake you up, though. Um, if you are new to Riverwood, welcome. My name is Aaron. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, please don't escape out of here uh, until I have a chance to uh, shake your hand and, and get to know you for a moment. Um, here at Riverwood, though, we sometimes will talk about our fist, which is our finances, our influence, our skills, and our time. These are things that we try to hold on to in our lives, things that we cling to, and yet we believe that if we're truly going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to open our fist to these things. We're going to have to allow God to take these things, to give of our finances, our influence, our skills, and our time. It's hard to do that. It takes great discipline. And so that's why for this disciplined series where we're talking about the spiritual disciplines, we're kind of kind of do a little mini series within this broader series. Uh, next week, Jacob, as you heard, is going to be preaching on that F, the finances, about the, the, the stewardship, the, the giving, that, that discipline that that takes to give our money so that God might use it to really truly help others. Which means this week, I'm doing the other three, our influence, our skills, and our time. Things that we try to hold on to, to keep for ourselves. Or another way I could put it is to give our influence, our skills, and our time is to enter into the spiritual discipline of serving. Serving. Now, I think if I went around asking just random people, you know, first, are you a Christian? And they said, yes. And then I said, well, could you tell me some spiritual disciplines? They would probably mention the Bible, you know, reading, or, or they might say prayer. Uh, some might say something like fasting, something we're going to talk about here in a couple of weeks. But they probably would not list serving. Uh, for instance, uh, my son-in-law, when he found out that uh, I was going to be doing a series on the spiritual disciplines, he recommended a book. So I went out and, and bought it. It's called Habits of Grace, written by a guy by the name of David Mathis. And I really like the book. I haven't read all of it. I've just read bits and pieces to, you know, as a supplement as I prepare these messages but I went there this week to kind of see, you know, what, what does he say about this? He says nothing. He doesn't even mention serving as a spiritual discipline. I still recommend the book. But this surprised me. Because years ago, I read the classic work on spiritual disciplines by a guy by the name of Richard Foster. His book is called Celebration of Discipline. I learned this week that this book came out in 1978. That means this is the 40th anniversary of Richard Foster's classic work. He's written a lot of other books. I couldn't even tell you the titles of any of them, but I do know Celebration of Discipline. And he talks in there about things like the inward disciplines, Bible reading, prayer, meditation— but he also talks about outward disciplines, and one of his outward disciplines is serving. We have got to talk about serving because we are very selfish people. And to overcome that selfishness, we've got to discipline ourselves and do things for others. Now, because I know a number of you in my church family, I know you are incredibly generous people. Some of you God is gifted with the, this generosity. You, you, you hear about something and you give financially towards it. Others of you, when we have a need, you're the first to step up. You, you might jump in with your time. You give of your skills. Like I've seen you guys in, in serve in incredible ways. You're so generous. But something I've discovered is that even generous people have a selfish side. For instance, you could be incredibly generous with your money, and yet you are as stingy as can be with your time. You will gladly throw money at something, but if they ask of your personal time and energy and presence, oh, that's a little harder. Others of you, 
yeah, no problem. I'll give time. I'll, I'll, you know, give towards this. But if someone asks you to exert your influence to help change a situation, oh, a little reluctant. I, I'm not sure I want to open up to that. So yeah, you can be really generous in one area and really selfish in another. That's why we have to talk about this. We have to talk about the spiritual discipline of serving. Because when we serve, God does something in us. Remember the very first week of this series, we talked about the purpose of the disciplines. The disciplines are not there for us to do to somehow like prove to God, you know, like we're, we're good enough. Instead, we do these disciplines to create an avenue for God to continue to mold and shape, to conform us into the image of his son. And what better way than for us to serve? Because as we're going to see today, serving is just who Jesus was. He is not insulted to be called a servant. And so if he can serve and even serve us, then I think we can go and serve others, knowing that as we do so, he makes us more like Christ and he helps others. So Heavenly Father, as we get ready to jump into the scriptures, I pray that you would uh, speak loud and clear to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, if you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 5. If you're new here at Riverwood, we don't care if you pull out your phone or if you've got a paper copy. We, during this discipline series, we are not showing the scripture on the screen. So I want everyone to have a Bible. So if you don't have one, would you just be brave enough to raise your hand and one of our ushers will give one to you. So I want everyone to have a Bible. Open it up to Matthew chapter 5. So go ahead, just put the hands up there. It's not a problem. And turn to Matthew. If you don't know where Matthew is, it's the first book of the New Testament. So if you see a bunch of really strange names, the kind of names that hipsters name their children or their dogs, uh, that's probably the minor prophets. If you get to more normal names, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you found the Gospels. You're in the New Testament. Go to the first book and go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. All right, let me read Matthew 5. We're going to just today do only verses 14, 15, and 16. So join me in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If your Bible is like mine, you will notice that those words are in red. These words are said by Jesus as part of his most famous sermon, the longest sermon we have recorded of him. It's found all the way from Matthew 5 through Matthew chapter 7, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is on a mountain when he's teaching this. If you go to chapter, I mean, verse 1 of chapter 5, you'll see it says that Jesus is there on the mountain and he sits down. Oftentimes when a rabbi was getting ready to teach, they would sit we, we do it backwards. We, we have everyone else sit and, and the teacher stands. But in their day, when the teacher would sit, everyone else then would sit down and sit at their feet. And so imagine Jesus is up on top of this mountain. Maybe there's a big rock and he sits down on it and everyone kind of gathers. And he creates this natural amphitheater. And so he starts preaching to his disciples. Now, Jesus is not as famous as he's going to get in a, in a little while. But I think there's been word already trickling around about this Jesus guy. And so it would not be surprising if it wasn't just his few disciples listening in, but if like a small crowd had gathered and they're also listening in to what Jesus has to say. And when he begins, the first thing he starts saying is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed 
are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. He, he goes into all these blessings and talking about what these various people will get. And so they've been called the Beatitudes. And it's really a beautiful, heart-capturing type of, of beginning in a sermon. But then suddenly he starts shifting to images. And one image, this metaphorical picture he paints, is of light. And what he says is, you are the light of the world. Which is absolutely fascinating and maybe confusing. Because if you go over to the book of John, John's record of Jesus' life, you'll see John repeatedly refer to Jesus as the light of the world. In fact, John has at least three instances in his book where Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. And yet here in Matthew, Matthew has Jesus saying, you are the light of the world. So which is it? Is Jesus the light or are you the light? Well, I think the answer is found when we look at their understanding of light. So we need to kind of push pause and put this in its cultural context. You see, if I asked you to turn on the light, you'd probably start walking around looking on the wall for a switch because our lights run on electricity. But if Jesus asked one of his disciples to turn on the light, they would go and get a little bowl and it'd be filled with oil and they would light it to start fire at the end. It's, it's kind of like a candle. Now, imagine I have a candle here and you have a candle and my candle is lit and yours is not. And so you want to light your candle and you come up to light your candle your candle does not steal the flame from my candle. No, my candle continues to burn as your candle now is lit. That's the concept. Yes, Jesus is the light of the world. And if you follow him, if you place your faith in Jesus, then you also take that light. And you don't take it from him. You take his light and it becomes a part of you. That's why Jesus, the light of the world, can point at you and say, you are the light of the world. It's not taking from him, it's having because of him. So you are the light of the world. And notice what we're supposed to do with that light. Look at there in verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Now, I think when Jesus said this, it probably made some people laugh because if it really is this little oil lamp, this kind of candle-like thing, and you put it there and then you put this like wicker or wood basket over it, you just created a fire hazard. So your house is probably gone. So that everyone probably chuckled like, yeah, no one would do that. But also his concept is you don't light it and then cast it right back in darkness. Like you don't walk into the room, flip on the light switch and then pick up a bucket and stick it over the light. I mean, first of all, you're wasting a lot of energy and kids, your moms and dads will yell at you to stop, stop, you know, playing with the light. But you, you still, you don't turn on the light and then cover it up and put it, everything back into darkness. The whole reason for the light was to shine forth. It's to shine out there. And that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. He's saying it should shine out there for others to see. It isn't to be kept private, which is why I think it's really ridiculous when politicians or athletes or movie stars or, or different famous figures will talk about, well, yes, I'm a very spiritual person, but my faith is a private matter. Because according to Jesus, no, it, it's not to be kept in the darkness of privacy. It's to shine out there. It's to be for everyone. And, and notice there in 16, he says, 
You have to let your light shine before others. Like this is to affect them. This is actually for their good. You know, if you and a friend walk into a room and it's super dark, you pull out your, your phone, you turn on the flashlight feature. Now you can all see your light is to actually help them. It's to be a blessing to others. You are to shine the light for others. It's not to be kept private. It's not for yourself. That's why, um, let's see. Okay, so then verse 16, the other thing I want you to see. Let your light shine before others. How are they going to see your, your light? Notice what he says there, the next phrase. So that they may see your good works. In other words, the way they're going to see the light is through you serving. You've got to go and serve so they can see the light. I've been doing uh, ministry now for, wow, almost 25 years. That makes me sound really old. Uh, yeah, so a long time. And I, as I've been doing ministry, uh, I've just seen these various pushes within Christianity. Uh, different tribes of Christianity will, will start a push to start serving. Uh, it's been labeled all sorts of things. There was a time where it was called the social gospel. Uh, other times it's been called, you know, living missionally. Uh, currently, if, if someone on Twitter really talks about, you know, getting out and serving, they're called a social justice warrior. And usually these things, by some, this is like a, a, a you know, a great title. It's a mantle, something you want to be called. But others, they use these terms like a, uh, an insult. Like right now, social justice warrior. If you're called an SJW, that's, you know, trying, they're trying to knock you at your knees. And, and these people who try to decry these different movements will say, no, we just need to preach the gospel. But notice what Jesus is saying. It's like he's saying, yeah, you need to preach the gospel. And part of your preaching the gospel is through your action. The way people will believe what you say is when they see what you do. You have to serve. You have to let your light shine for others. But now I need to stop and put a little warning on this. There, there's quite a few people who think that Okay, I'm going to go out and serve, you know, that, that whether it be called the social gospel or you're, you're being a, you know, a social justice warrior. They think I've got to go do these things to, in a sense, prove that I'm a good person. I remember years and years ago when Leanne and I were living in Colorado, I was working at a small little church plant as the worship director. And I had a part-time job just to try and help us make ends meet, delivering flowers. Uh, the flower shop I worked for had, I think, like 13 locations around the Denver area. And that's the only place you could find this flower shop. Our flower shop happened to have hired a fairly new floral designer. She had just graduated from a kind of floral design school. It's like a six-month or nine-month program. And then she came on, on staff. She was hired. She had a fascinating story. Uh, she was actually a Russian immigrant. She and her husband both had doctorates in chemistry, and yet they, couldn't, they just didn't feel like they were safe underneath Soviet uh, control. And so they, they got out of communism, came to America, where their degrees, their doctorates were not recognized. And they knew they couldn't financially afford to put both of them back through school. And so she began to work and raise the kids, and he went back to school, got the doctorate again, and got hired on at a university to begin to teach. And so now it was her turn to go back and get her degree again. And she decided, I don't want to do that. It was so much work the first time, I don't want to go through it all again. And so her husband basically says, well, what do you want to do? She says, I want to be a floral designer. 
And he said, okay. And she was good. I mean, really good. Like, you would open up the magazine and see, you know, the, the best of the best, and hers would beat it. She was that good. And I got to tell you, it was actually kind of nice being a floral, you know, a flower delivery boy. Because you walk up to the door, and nine times out of ten, people are really happy to see you. You know, there's always that one time when you're delivering something from the ex-boyfriend trying to get back with a girlfriend. And she kind of rolls her eyes, you know. that I knew it wasn't me, but those are the only moments where they didn't like me. But otherwise, yeah, people were really happy to see me. Well, one day, I'm standing in the flower shop waiting for her to finish up a design that I'm then going to go and deliver. And somehow she finds out that this isn't my only job, that I also work for a church. And a whole conversation springs up about religion, spirituality, faith. And through that conversation, I discovered she believed that she would go to heaven because she's a really good person. That's part of why she designs flower arrangements. Because she knew that if I design these things and they get delivered to people, it will bring them great joy or great comfort. And so this was part of her faith. And she knew without a shadow of a doubt that God would let her into heaven because she's done far more good stuff than any bad stuff. Now, I got to give her props. She's trying to live a very noble life. But the scriptures are very, very clear that there is nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. This is not just the belief of some Russian immigrant who can design flower arrangements. This belief is held all over the world, even right here in Iowa. You don't believe me? Just go to a funeral. And as you sit and listen to the pastor and the friends talk about the deceased, you'll hear them say all sorts of wonderful things. And now we can just take great comfort knowing that they are in heaven because of all the things that they did. And yet the scriptures are clear. Ephesians 2 says that it is not by works that we are saved. Why? So that no one can boast. Instead, our salvation is a gift from God. The entrance into heaven, the ticket, the key is Jesus himself. And so we've got to put our faith into Jesus, trusting in his death on our behalf, that he came out of the grave alive, that he is still God to this day, and we choose to follow him. When he's the center of our identity, now we have heaven. Now we have life. Now we have the light. And so you do not have to, if you are the light of the world, you do not go and shine to try to prove that you're a light. I mean, think about it. Lights do not shine to prove they're a light. Lights shine because they are a light. And if you follow Jesus, you have the light of Christ in you. And so you don't have to go and do these good works. You don't have to go and serve other people somehow trying to prove you're good enough for heaven. No, you go and you do these good works because it's who you are. Because it's who Jesus is. Paul, when he wrote to this church in uh, Philippi, in chapter 2, verse 7, he describes Jesus as a servant. That Jesus took on the form of a servant. And Jesus himself admitted it. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus himself said this, For even the Son of Man, that's a title that Jesus gave for himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the Son of God, had every right in the universe to come down and basically say, bow before me. I am your God. But he didn't. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. 
which means the master of the universe is not insulted at the idea of being a servant. To serve someone does not mean you are less than them. It just becomes who you are. And Jesus served us fully. He taught us about the kingdom of God. He, he showed love to the people by healing them, by feeding them. But ultimately, Jesus showed God's love by going to a cross and dying for our sin. That is true service. And if the sinless son of God could come and serve sinful humanity, then what's our excuse? You and I can go and serve if our life is in Christ. Because we have the light of Jesus within us. And we are to let it go. And we are to shine to others. So here's what I would advise. First, if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, I want to encourage you and caution you to not get caught in the thought trap that you must go and do good things in order to impress God. I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to who've said, yeah, yeah, you know, when I was in college, I did these things. Or, you know, this last week, I, I said this to my friend or to my brother, or I, you know, I did this at work. And, and, and we somehow think that, okay, I've done these bad things. And so I've got to, I've got to like clean up my act. Because, you know, if I walked into, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. If I walked into a church building, God would strike me dead with lightning. I've got to, you know, I've got to pick up my act first before I could even come before God. That's thinking completely backwards. You can't clean up your act. Well, okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say that you decide to give a donation to a friend who's fighting cancer. They've got mounting medical bills, so you give a generous donation. And now you feel really good about that. Like, you're feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm, I'm actually pretty good. I mean, God's got to be pretty impressed with that. I mean, I just gave that much money to this situation. I'm, I'm not bad. But do you see what just happened in there? You gave so that you would feel good. You gave so that God would be impressed with you. You, in a sense, took the glory for yourself. It means that even your best works, the best you could possibly do, are still stained with sin. The only way that your good works will not be stained with sin is if you allow Jesus to come in and wash your sins away. And when Jesus washes that sin away, now when you go and serve— you aren't serving to try to impress them. You aren't serving just because it makes me feel good. You're serving because it's who you are. You're a light. You don't shine to prove you're a light. You just shine because you are a light. So if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I encourage you, give your life to Jesus. Become a light. Let him be the center of who you are. And it will change everything about you. Now, I also know a lot of my church family. You, you know Jesus, you love him, you want to be Jesus-centered people. That's why you come here on Sundays, to not just sing some songs and, and meet other people. You're wanting to grow spiritually. And so I have this for you. I'm going to encourage you to serve, and I want you to serve two groups of people. I want you to serve those inside the church, and I want you to serve those outside the church. And I get this from Galatians 6. If you know where Galatians is, feel free to flip there. Otherwise, I will read it and you can just listen in. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing this to a church in the city of Galatia. And he's coming towards the end. And he says this, Galatians 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me read that again. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Let us serve everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right, so you hear it? We're, we're to serve everyone. These good works, this light that we shine, this is for everyone. But he says, especially those within the faith. Because if you can't even love your brother or your sister, how are you going to be able to do it for others? So this is the training ground. This is what my wife and I have told our kids for years. That Have, have you ever noticed how you're much better behaved when you're out away, but when you're at home, like you can be atrocious with each other. I mean, you can just say mean, nasty things. But if you could get that right in the home, if you could like honor your sister, if you could really love your brother, if you could do that within the home, you're going to be amazing out at the workplace. You're going to be phenomenal at school. Your, your neighborhood is going to be totally different because if you can do it here in the confines of your family, you're going to be so much better outside. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing here. So love within your family. If you love within your family, you're going to knock it out of the park when you hit it out in the community. And so I'm going to encourage you. Serve right here at Riverwood. If this is your home church, serve in at least one way. At least one. It could be simple. It could be bringing food uh, you know, for our, our hospitality table. It could be serving as an usher. It could be serving as a greeter. Something really simple. Maybe you want to step it up. Serve back in Kids Creek. Maybe it's, you know, get on the stage and help lead with music. Find some place. Now, I realize as I look out, I see a number of you who are serving in multiple areas. Yeah, you guys are phenomenal. I mean, some of you, you are in kids some weeks, and then you're greeting in other weeks. And like some weeks you're wondering, like, am I ever going to actually get to sit in the service with my spouse? I mean, because you're serving so much, and we appreciate it. But if you're not serving, I want to encourage you, find one place. It can be super simple, but just step up. Find that one place so that you're serving those within the household of faith. Because if you start getting this right, it's going to make it easier to love those outside the faith. And that's the second group I want you to love. I want you to serve those who are not part of our church family. Because if Riverwood is a healthy church and we're all serving, meaning I will serve you and you'll end up serving me. So in a sense, you're returning it back to me. That's what a healthy family does. They serve and love one another. But do we look, when we look at Christ, he did not come down to earth to serve us just so we could get something back. No, he served selflessly. There was nothing we could do in order for Jesus to go, okay, I guess I'll serve you. No, he just did it. And so for us to truly be like Christ, let's go and serve those who may not necessarily be able to return it. And so here's some ideas. Sign up to be a friendship family at Warburg. Welcome an international student into your life. Just befriend them. You know, spend a little bit of time with them. Learn about their culture. Let them learn about yours. Just give into that. Maybe you have an elderly neighbor who can't, you know, uh, mow their lawn or, or shovel their walk. You serve them. Love them. Take, take them food every once in a while. Maybe there's a single mom at your school. She's doing this parenting thing alone. Maybe you somehow come alongside her and love her and serve her. She's not going to be able to return a whole lot to you. Uh, that's okay. You can still go and serve. Or, or maybe you, you come to the food bank. A, a number of you have served at the food bank before. Come and serve those who probably aren't going to be able to return it back to you. And yet you're going to show the love of Christ. You're going to let your light shine before them. Because when you do this, 
not only are you now being like Christ, allowing God to get in to conform you into that image of Jesus, something else happens. And it's right there back in Mark. Mark 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 16. Let me read it again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. And here it is. And give glory to your Father who's in heaven. When you let your light shine, not only is God doing something in you, not only is he using you to bless others, he's using you to draw them to him. Because when you give selflessly of yourself, you are inevitably lifting Christ up. And Jesus said, when you lift him up, he will draw all men to him. Your act of service may be the very thing that God uses to draw someone to Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking of that little phrase uh, that gets attributed to St. Augustine, that preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Right? There's just two problems with that. Number one, Augustine didn't say it. We have actually no record that he actually said it. So, you know, it was just attributed to him. Kind of like that famous quote that you you can't believe everything that you read on the internet by uh, Abraham Lincoln. You know, so he did not actually say it. The second thing is the scriptures did not say that your preaching of the, the gospel is just through your action. No, usually what happens is as you live out a Jesus-centered life, as this serving just becomes a part of who you are, as you are disciplined in it, People are going to notice, and they're going to ask you questions. And you'll find yourself in flower shops in Denver, Colorado, having to explain your faith because they notice something about you. And now you have to use words. And so it doesn't mean we don't use words. But do you imagine the conflict when you're using words, trying to preach the gospel, but your life, you're serving, is completely against it? Let's enter into the spiritual discipline of serving. Because as we do so, God is making us more like Christ. And as he makes us more like Christ, it blesses others. It changes them and it draws them to him. And they just might give glory to God as well. And before I close, I want to say just one last thing. What I want you to do is I want you to imagine what it would look like if we as a church did this together. Like, I, I seriously, I want you each individually living out this spiritual discipline of service. But imagine if it wasn't just each as individuals, but it was also collectively as a church. Imagine the impact that that would have. A few years ago, I heard a church planter talk about his dream for his church. And he said that he wanted his church to make such an impact in their city that if for some reason God closed the doors of that church, that the city would hold a funeral. That like the paper would write articles about how sad they are that this church is no longer part of the community. That people in coffee shops would be mourning the loss of this church. And do you know why they would mourn it? Not because they'd be saying, oh, I really miss the preaching. Or, oh, I really miss their great music. No, they'd be saying, I miss that church because of what they did in our city. That's part of my dream. That's part of why we talk about gather, grow, give, go. We've not started Riverwood Church to be a place where we just come together and feel happy knowing one another. It's to come together to be immersed in worship because of this gospel. But because this gospel is so amazing and awesome, we can't just keep it contained to ourselves. It's not to remain private. We've got to take the bucket off Lift off the basket and let this light shine. 
And how it's going to shine is when we decide together as a church to go as individuals into the world. And as we impact this world, it will make a difference. Some of you are helping us do it. You're getting involved in the VBS. You're getting involved out of the food bank. You've given generously so we could give to the Waverly Benevolence Fund. You've done so much. I'm asking you, will you just come and connect together for the sake of the gospel? Because imagine what Waverly and Shell Rock and Clarksville and Janesville and Denver and Nashua, what they would look like if a church didn't just exist for itself, that it existed to shine the light. Father, I want to see your light shine through us. I want to see each and every individual here have this Jesus-centered life where they are being used tremendously by you at their workplaces, in their schools, in their neighborhoods, in their friend groups, with their extended family, even right within their own home. But God, I, I don't believe that you called us to just do these as individuals. You also call us to do it as a collective because the light will shine all the brighter when we're doing it in tangent with others. God, I thank you for already the ways you've used Riverwood in this community and the difference that it's making. But God, I believe that our best days are still ahead, that you have far more to do through us as well as in us. So God, I just pray you'd help each of us to completely surrender to you, to let you have complete control of our life. And that means opening up our fist. Help us, God, to let go to allow you to use our influence, to use our skills, to use our time for your glory and for the blessing of others. And as we do so, you make us more and more like Christ. And in that, we would find our greatest joy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.